0: Good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. It's hard to believe that it's already the second Sunday in August, which means that school's about to start back up. It means that family encampment is next weekend. Uh, which means that this service will not meet next week. We'll have a combined worship service, so we'll have Bible class at its regular time and our second service at its regular time, but this service won't meet. Um, I need to speak to you about commitment uh, for just a moment. I know that a lot of you have already signed up for family camp. About 140 people have signed up. But I know that there are others who are planning on coming who haven't yet let me know that you're planning on coming. It's time to let me know. It's time to make a commitment. We need to know how many people are going to be up there so that we can plan the proper amount of food and we can figure out where everybody's going to sleep and all of those kind of things. So even if you're going to be up there for just part of the day on Saturday, please let us know. You can fill out one of the green forms that you can find back at the welcome booth and give that to me. You can email me. You can call me. But do something to let me know that you're planning on being up there. I would really appreciate that. As we get started this morning, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, and Father, we are mindful of all the ways that you bless us, and Father, we especially are thinking about the way that you've blessed us with this church family, and Father, we thank you for the the love that we have for each other, and more importantly, the love that we have for you, and we pray, Father, that you'll draw us closer together and draw us closer to you. Father, we thank you for your word and especially the words of Jesus Christ that have been passed down to us over the generations so that that we can sit at his feet so we can hear Jesus, our master and the master teacher, tell us what it's like to to be citizens of his kingdom so he can tell us what his kingdom is like. And Father, we just pray as we hear another one of his kingdom stories this morning that, that you'll help us to listen to it as if he's speaking directly to us this morning. Help us, Father, to not just listen to it, but also to to recognize that that these words are, are spoken to us so that we can live them out in our lives. Father, we pray that you will help us to be those kind of disciples of Jesus Christ, so that others may see him working through us so they too can come to know Jesus. And Father, we pray all this through his name, Jesus who is the Christ. Amen. So we are continuing our series of kingdom stories and Each week throughout this summer, we've been listening to Jesus tell us a different story, tell us a different parable. And each week, we've seen that each one of these stories is just full of kingdom truths. They're full of truths that teach us what God's kingdom looks like. They're full of truths that teach us what our king desires, what our king values. And each of these stories is full of truths that reveal what it means to live as a permanent citizen in God's kingdom. And in this week's story, we'll see that citizens of God's kingdom will have generous hearts. They'll have generous hearts that have been transformed by the extravagant generosity of our king. And today as our story opens, the always impulsive Peter is once more at center stage. And as he takes center stage, he has a question for Jesus. And his question is about forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21. Peter came up to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Like always with Peter, you have to kind of read between the lines and figure out what is he really asking. I think what Peter is really asking is, Lord, when can I stop turning the other cheek. I think Peter's really asking, when can I stop being patient and finally give people what they truly deserve? And I think Peter probably feels like he's on pretty solid ground with this question. See, most of the rabbis and most of the Pharisees were teaching that to be righteous, you had to forgive a brother up to three times. And so Peter had heard that But Peter had also heard Jesus say that his followers would be held to a higher standard. He had heard Jesus teach that his disciples would have to have a righteousness that even exceeded the Pharisees. So I can just imagine the wheels are turning in Peter's mind, and he's thinking, the Pharisees say that we have to forgive up to three times. But I know Jesus has greater expectations for us. So I think what I'll do is I'll take their three, and I'll double it. And then just for good measure, I'll add another forgiveness to it. And there's my number, seven, a good, solid number, a generous number, seven times. So Peter's asking, can I stop turning the cheek after forgiving my brother seven times? Can I stop being patient and give them what they really deserve after forgiving them seven times? So Peter thinks he's being quite generous. And I have to admit, from where I stand, that sounds pretty generous to me as well. Surely forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving, forgiving, surely that's enough. So as we listen to this story, as we listen to this parable... We need to remember that Jesus tells this story in response to what Peter has perceived to be a very generous offer. A very generous offer to be willing to forgive a brother up to seven times. But we'll also see in this story that Jesus has a very different definition of generosity. So listen to his reply to Peter's question of how many times must I forgive my brother Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or as your translation might read, I do not say to you seven times, but up to seventy times seven times. And even though our translations might be a little bit different about the numbers they have, we shouldn't get hung up on those numbers. In fact, that's exactly the point that Jesus is making to Peter. He's saying forgiveness isn't about a number. He's saying forgiveness is about a heart. And Jesus is saying when you define your forgiveness by a number, what you're doing is you're aiming way too low. Because what counts in Jesus' kingdom aren't numbers. What counts in his kingdom are forgiving hearts. Then Jesus tells this kingdom story. tells a story about true generosity, about true forgiveness. And be prepared as we go into this story. Jesus uses hyperbole. He uses wild exaggeration in this story. You may not be comfortable thinking about Jesus, our Lord and Master, being someone who exaggerates so greatly, but he does. And he does it to make a point. He uses wild exaggeration to make sure that Peter and to make sure that the crowds and to make sure that we understand his point about forgiving hearts. So listen to his story. In verse 23, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay this debt. So at the beginning of this story, Jesus presents a, a problem. He presents a huge problem. There's a king and he's ready to settle the accounts and it's time for all of his servants to pay him what they owe him. And this one particular servant, the central character of our story, this one particular servant, he's not just any servant. This servant is a tax collector. He's a tax collector for the king. And as a tax collector, he'd been responsible for collecting a specific amount of money from his fellow citizens. And he would have been responsible for then turning that money over to the king, that amount that he promised that he would collect over to his king. He owed that amount to the king. And the way the system worked, any excess that he managed to collect, he got to keep that for himself. So the time has come. The time has come to turn that money over to the king, the money he owes to the king. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. There's a huge problem. Not only does this servant not have any excess money that he collected, he doesn't have any money that he collected. So he owes the king the entire amount he promised to collect, the entire amount he promised to pay. We need to understand that that amount in this story is a staggering amount. The servant owes the king an extraordinary amount of money. In your Bibles, you might have a footnote that suggests that the amount that the servant owes is in the millions of dollars. But I want you to know it's worse than that. It's not millions of dollars with an M. It's billions of dollars with a B. In fact, in today's dollars, this servant owes the king about $8 billion. Now, you may think you're in debt, but this man is in debt. $8 billion. That's quite a debt. And obviously we all know and Jesus knew and everybody in the crowd knew that this was a debt that no one could repay. It's certainly beyond this servant's ability to repay and it's beyond the ability of anyone to repay a, bet, a, a debt of $8 billion. And that's exactly Jesus' point he wildly exaggerates the size of this debt so we'll understand the desperate situation that this servant is in. He has an enormous debt, and this debt is owned to the most powerful man in the entire kingdom, and there's nothing this servant can do to repay it. So let me ask you if you're this servant, what do you do? What do you do if you're standing before the king and you have an enormous debt that is impossible for you to pay? We know what you do, right? You beg, you plead, you grovel, you make promises, you throw yourself on the mercy of the king. You throw yourself on the mercy of the king because he's the only one with the power and with the authority to fix this mess that you've put yourself in. And I also want to ask you, what do you do if you're the king? What do you do if you're the one who's owed this tremendous, enormous debt that can't be repaid? Well, Jesus' audience knew what kings and what other people in power did in these kind of situations. They did exactly what this king said he was going to do. They sell the debtor. They sell his wife. They sell his children. They sell everything that they own. This was the accepted practice. This was the expected practice. And it was all well within the king's rights to do this. This is what you did. You did it certainly to help recoup some of the money that was owed you, but there were more important reasons why you did this. So you did this to set an example. You did this to send a message you did this to show everyone that you mean business and you expect to be paid exactly what you're owed. And then that brings us to the huge surprise that Jesus presents in this kingdom story. The servant expects, acts exactly what we would expect. He does what we would expect with the king. For the king, it's a different story because this is a different king. And he's ruling over a very different kingdom. Verse 26, Jesus continues. He said, The servant fell on his knees before the king and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt, and he let him go. See, just like we expected, the servant asked for mercy. He throws himself on the mercy of the king The servant asks for more time. The servant asks for patience. We know that patience alone won't solve this problem because this problem is too big for just patience. See, there's not enough time left in the servant's life to possibly be able to repay this debt. There's not enough time left in his children's lifetimes. There's not enough time left in his grandchildren's lifetimes to repay this debt. It's simply too big. So the surprise of the story doesn't come in the way the servant acts. The surprise comes in the way that the king responds. See, shockingly, shockingly to that audience, and it should be shocking to us as well, the king responds to the servant with grace, and he responds with mercy. And shockingly, the king provides the only solution to this servant's big problem. He simply makes it go away. He forgives the debt. He forgives the huge debt. And as the king does that, the king gives up claim to this huge sum of money, this enormous sum of money that is legitimately his. So the king extends grace and he extends mercy to the servant, and he does so at great personal cost. Let's stop here for a moment. Let's hit the pause button on this story. Let's put ourselves back in that servant's sandals and let's put ourselves very much not in just a servant's sandals, but in a forgiven servant's sandals. If you're that servant, how do you respond? How do you respond to the grace and mercy of the King? How do you respond to being rescued from slavery? How do you respond to your wife being rescued from slavery? How do you respond to your children being rescued from slavery? How do you respond to the gracious, the merciful, the generous King? What do you do? Is there gratitude? Do you feel relief? Do you have great joy? Are you full of praise? Do you make promises to the king about how this will never happen again? About how you'll conduct yourself from now on? How do you respond to this kind of king? And that's where we expect this story to move next. We expect Jesus to focus on the servant's response to the gracious, merciful, and generous king. But Jesus has a different direction that he's going to go Jesus isn't focused on how the servant responds to his king in this story. Jesus is focused on how he responds to his fellow servants. So let's take our story off pause and see that this story is about to take another shocking turn. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. He said, pay back what you owe me. His fellow, servants, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That's a wow moment in this story. The forgiven servant has an immediate opportunity to pay his king's generosity forward to pay his king's grace and mercy forward. He has an immediate opportunity to be like his king. He has an immediate opportunity to show that he now understands that he serves a different king. He has an immediate opportunity to show that he now understands that he lives in a different kingdom. But instead of exercising patience and grace and mercy... This forgiven servant instead chooses to exercise his power. The power that he has over a fellow servant who is in his debt. He chooses to exercise his harsh power. His harsh power over a servant who owes him a significant debt. But it's a much smaller debt. About $15,000 in today's money. See, unlike his king, this servant didn't have any patience. He didn't have any grace. and He didn't have any mercy. He didn't realize that he served a different king. He didn't realize that things had to be different in this kingdom. And since he was still playing by old kingdom rules... We're pretty sure of what's going to happen next. We're pretty sure that this point of the story is going to lead to things not ending very well for this servant who has no mercy. Verse 31, when the other servant saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And Then in his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Well, we see that even other people had a very strong response to what the forgiven sinner did to his fellow servant. A very strong response to his unmerciful response to his fellow servant. The first response comes from those fellow servants. We see that they're upset. See, they're upset because they know exactly what happened with the king, they know exactly the size of the debt that was forgiven, they know the magnitude of the forgiveness that was extended. And they know that the correct response to such generous grace and mercy is something that doesn't look anything like this. They're upset, so they tell the king what happened. And the king, too, is shocked. The king is shocked that this extraordinary gift that he extended didn't result in the transformation of that debtor's heart, and it didn't transform the actions of that debtor. How could you be snatched from ruin only to turn around and ruin someone else? How could you be snatched from slavery only to then go and imprison another? How could you be forgiven like this only to withhold forgiveness? How could such a dramatic and profound encounter with the king not have changed the servant how could he be in such in the presence of such grace and the presence of such mercy and then emerge without any grace and without any mercy for others see this is a different king this is a different kingdom he rules over a different kingdom But Jesus is telling us that not only is the king different and not only is his kingdom different, his servants must be different as well. The servants must be like their king. They must be patient. They must be merciful. They must be gracious. They must be forgiving. But this servant is none of those things. So the king, with great disappointment that no change had occurred in this servant's life, this king with great anger over the way that his servant had treated another, the king returns the unforgiving servant back to his original state. He takes him right back where we originally found him. He takes him back where we found him because his heart wasn't transformed by his king He takes him back where we found him because his actions weren't transformed to be like the actions of his king. And because he wasn't transformed, because his heart wasn't transformed, the king treats him as what he really reveals himself to be. He's a debtor with a debt that's too great for him to pay. So the questions that remain are the questions for us to answer How are we going to respond to this story? How are we going to respond as servants of our king? Maybe better put, how are we responding? How are we responding knowing that we are servants of King Jesus who has forgiven us? How are we responding to the extravagant forgiveness that has been given to us? How do we respond and how are we responding to our $8 billion debt of sin that we had no ability to repay that has been forgiven by our king? See, this story tells us that our king expects us to respond like him, to respond like our king. He expects us to respond by extending unlimited forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. And why does he expect that? Why does our king expect us to extend this kind of forgiveness to other people? Well, it's because we serve a different king. A king who's called us into a different kingdom. And he's called us into that kingdom in a very different way. He called us into his kingdom by extending unlimited forgiveness to us. And so he expects us to forgive others just like we have been forgiven. And you may be sitting there saying, is that even possible? Can anybody really do that, extend unlimited forgiveness to someone who repeatedly sins against them? Is it possible to be like our king? Is it possible to live like our king? Is it possible for us to extend this kind of forgiveness, extravagant forgiveness? And Jesus tells us, and this story tells us, that yes, it is possible. Not only is it possible, it's expected. But it's only possible if our King's extravagant grace and mercy and forgiveness has transformed our hearts. That's the only way it's possible. It's only through His power. Our hearts have to be transformed, they have to be changed. They have to be transformed and changed because extending this kind of forgiveness, this extravagant forgiveness, that just isn't normal. And it certainly isn't easy. What's normal and what's easy is to stop turning the other cheek. What's normal and what's easy is to say enough is enough and then retaliate. But our king isn't normal. His kingdom isn't normal, and neither are his servants to be normal. He's different. His kingdom is different, and so are his servants. His servants are extravagantly different. They're extravagantly different because their hearts have been transformed by the mercy and grace and forgiveness of their king. And so their transformed hearts allow them to look on their fellow servants with love and look on them with compassion and extend that same grace and mercy and forgiveness that they have received. Extend that forgiveness not seven times, not 77 times, not seven times 70 times, but every time, every time directly from the transformed heart. There's one question, an uncomfortable question, that remains from this story. What if we just refuse? What if we just refuse to forgive our brothers and forgive our sisters who have sinned against us? What if we say, you know, enough is enough? What if we say that debt is simply too big to forgive? What then? Well, I think we know the answer to that. See, if that's our attitude, if that's what we choose to do, we are the unmerciful servant from Jesus' story. That's who we are. And if we refuse to forgive, we also know, we know that our hearts haven't been transformed. They don't look like our kings. We haven't been transformed into the image of our king And we can also know that we should have no expectation that we will be forgiven by our king. Jesus put it this way as he ended his story. He looked at the crowd and he said, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart if we refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters, if we don't allow our king to transform our hearts, not only are we being the unmerciful servant from this story, we can expect our king to treat us like the unmerciful servant from this story. We too will be right back where our king found us. Back on our own with a debt simply too large to pay. My brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, we are forgiven people. Let us not ever be unforgiving people. I want to end with this encouragement from Paul. He wrote this in Romans 13 verse 8. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray together. Father, we are weak and sinful people. And Father, we are prideful people, and Father, we are people who have feelings that are easily hurt and damaged, and Father, we do not find forgiveness a natural part of who we are. And Father, we stand before you asking you to transform our hearts so that our hearts will look more and more like yours and more and more like Jesus Christ, Father, so that we will be a group of people who generously, extravagantly extend forgiveness to each other, So that we, in this community of believers, will look more and more like Jesus Christ. and Father, give us that transformation. Give us that strength. Father, we pray this in the name of the Christ. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.